You're listening to the Straight Shooting Podcast here on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Here are the hosts of the show, Jason and Mo. All right, guys, welcome back to the Straight Shooting Podcast. It's been a quite a while since we've uh, done one of our recent shows, so we've got a lot to talk about today. But, of course, I've got Muzz back with me. How you doing, mate? Yeah, g'day, Jason. Welcome back, everyone, to the Straight Shooting Podcast. Yeah, welcome back, everyone. It's great to have you with us. We've got lots to talk about today. It's absolutely awesome. Um, I guess, what have we been up to, uh, Mars? We've been talking, you know, we haven't done one for a while, actually, talking about a lot of different hunting or shooting-related topics, so glad to get back. Um, I guess the first thing, Mars, we've got a hunting trip next week to go on, which is great, so we get get out back out in the bush, try and get ourselves some more deer, get ourselves some more deer mitts. That's going to be fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really looking forward to that, Jace. So what are you going to do? What are you going to try and hunt? What are you going to try and shoot? Obviously a deer, but what are you going to what are you going to try and get your first samba? Have you shot samba before? I can't remember. I, I have not shot shot uh, any samba yet. That's what's one of the one of the things I would like to tick off my bucket list. Um, I've seen them before in the wild, but haven't had the opportunity uh, to to bag one yet. So hopefully this time, Jason, will be my like, lucky weekend. And what I was going to say too, guys, also is the fact that we're going to probably, we might even do a show. We've got a couple of people coming up uh, on this trip coming up. So I was talking to Muzz just a little bit earlier about potentially uh, doing a state forest uh, podcast with a couple of friends. And maybe if we get a deer, we can chat and have a chat and talk about that. We can have a chat about many, many different things uh, while we're actually out in the bush. Muzz, I'm probably going to go on Thursday as well on the trip as well. So uh, guys, this will be the first time I know I posted it on Instagram and told a lot of people that I was going to be going on Thursday and going to have to stay overnight in the state forest on my own. Now, I've never done this sort of thing before. I've never been able to uh, go out and be on my own. I've always been with friends. I've always been with family members or you know, all the guys that I know from you know, my hunting uh, I've met over the years, but uh, I've never done it before. So if this show goes to air, I don't think we'll go to air before we actually go on the trip, Muzz, but send us in your tips and tricks, guys. We'd love to be able to hear from you. Find out what you guys you know think about going out on your own. Is it safe? I mean, I've got all the required items to go out. I've got my EPIRB, UHF. I mean, I've got my snake bandages and stuff like that. And you know, and don't forget, guys, it is that time of year too, Muzz. Snakes are out on the prowl now, so be very careful yep. where you're stepping. Be very careful about where you go. If you're going to be on your own, make sure you have some type of EPIRB. Make sure you have some bandages. Have the necessary uh, you know, medical equipment just in case something happens, guys. I remember years ago, guys, I used to go with Muzz and he'd always bang on about certain things, but yet he walks around without a bloody... Uh, snake bandages without an EPIRB, and I'm like, you're crazy, man. You've got a family. You've got to get these things. Yeah, Jason, uh, you're right. You can never be too careful. Um, you know, you should always be prepared, have a first aid kit that's ready to do a bandage, learn how to do a bandage when it comes to snake bites and all those things, and always have a secondary form of communication. Um, you know, a lot of you guys go out there with your mobile phones and that. It's always good to carry a radio and always good to, uh, you know, make sure that you organise what channel you're going to be talking to with uh, your hunting group and so on, and uh, carry an EPIRB. Yes, like Jason said, very, very important. It's an exp- expensive piece of equipment, but however, it could save your life one day. 
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm not too keen about going out on night on my own, I'll be honest with you guys. But <laughs> I'm sure what I'll do is I, once I get back to the car after my afternoon slash uh, when I finish hunting in the afternoon slash night going back, I'll get back uh, just on dark or just a bit after dark. <laughs> I'll probably just cook something to eat, maybe get the fire going, uh, quickly just jump into um, pretty much my uh, tent and then uh, pretty much just go to sleep, man. So. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, Jason, a friend of mine done this a uh, couple of years ago. He wanted, he wanted to test himself out, see whether or not he could handle um, being out there in the wild or by himself for three days. And the result was that uh, everything gets louder. <laughs> you can hear all the sounds <laughs> in the forest. You can hear your heartbeat. You can hear everything, every little twig, every little sound that the wind makes, every, every noise that the bush makes, everything's amplified. and. Uh, uh, well, uh, it's safe to say that, you know, when he came back from that experience, he said he won't do that again. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, I mean, it's only going to be for one night. If I get there by lunchtime, give me a time to get wood. It'll give me time just to, you know, be prepared and stuff like that and, you know, get everything I need, pretty much get set, get the camp set up and, and pretty much be ready to go. But, uh, Mars, let's just jump on to our first one here. Now, let's go on to, I think it should be our, vo- our emails, actually. I'll go on to the emails. But speaking about voicemails, guys, um, we've got the feature on the website. So if you want to jump on the website, click in that right-hand side bar along the right-hand side. It says leave a voicemail. So if you want some voicemails that want to be played on the show, if you've got something for one of our guests when I put something on Facebook or Instagram, I think it's a minute and a half. So it's nine seconds let us know what you have you want to discuss and we're happy to discuss it uh, on the show now Muzz, one of the important things is we did uh, but we'll go into that a little bit further in regards to voicemails but I want to talk about uh, one of Barry one of our regular email contributors now he said hi Jason another good podcast this is with Bold Action Productions he's a YouTuber from Victoria And he said, I'm glad you haven't given up, uh, as I spoke about potentially doing on some previous shows. Uh, I know you do what you do for the love of it. As nearly all channels I listed on YouTube or podcasts, they all say the same. I enjoyed your second review of the Ticker Rimfire. I take it with a grain of salt uh, reviewers who receive equipment from suppliers to review. I've never really heard a bad review on any equipment which has been supplied for review. I have good friends and journos in the car industry and most of their reviews are done on cars are lent to them by the car makers or their car agents. If they gave a bad review, then obviously they don't get more cars. John Cadogan, he's a YouTuber, is an exception, but he's an asshole in my opinion. I took him to task when he was commenting on YouTube about firearms and that no one should have them and he went ballistic. I told him to stick it and he knew... Uh, to not comment and what he doesn't know anything about. Anyhow, I deleted my subscription after he denigrated me. As you're aware, I'm not really one for much input on social media. Uh, he goes on then, obviously, to talk about some stuff about powder scales, which I won't really go into. But, yeah, Mars Barry, one of our excellent regular contributors to the show, yep. always writing in, always being a part of the show, which is absolutely fantastic. Good on you, Barry, mate. We appreciate all your correspondence and keep listening to the show. All right, the next one is from, now, this is a weird name, a wholly chosen nation robber. <laughs> so obviously this is probably a, uh, it's not fake or anything, but obviously just the name on the email. He said, big fan of your channel and support what you do. I was just wondering if you know anything about pistol caliber ammo laws. For example, you can buy 9 mil ammo in Queensland if you've only got a Category A or B license. Now I've been, obviously, as Muzz knows, the, you know, 
ammo laws changed in New South Wales. What was it, Muzz? Probably 2014, maybe 2015 when Barry O'Farrell was yeah. in Parliament. Every time yeah. you purchase ammunition now, you have to have it locked down and you have to show your registration papers when you have pistol ammunition. The only thing I don't understand is a fair few people still shoot their 22 pistols as well. So if you've got category A, B and H and your plan is to go in there and buy the 22 rounds for your category H, I mean, you have to show the registration papers. But if you also do that in regards to you go buy it for your 22 for your rifle, you don't have to show it. But people are maybe get, this is what's stupid about the law because if I go in there yeah. on an A and B, I can still buy the 22. I can just tell them that. Like it's, that's, that's why the law's just completely ridiculous. Yeah, yeah of course. I mean, I mean, any, any calibers that are shared by pistols and, and rifles, 22 being an example, 22 Magnum, 357, you know, 45, you know, there's a couple of more, but, you know, any of those that are shared by pistols that you pretty much, you pretty much, uh, if you have a, a, you know, standard license, you pretty much can buy them with a standard license. So that's, yeah, you're right, Jason. The law, the law is really ridiculous in that area. Yeah, but thanks for writing in. We always appreciate people that write into the show. Uh, it's always great to have you guys involved, so thanks very much for that. Yeah, mate, we're not really too sure about the laws in Queensland um, in regards to what you can and can't buy. I know they definitely don't have Mars ammunition laws up there. Um, they probably will ask if you're going for category, if you have category H on your licence and you're buying 9mm, but if you don't have category H, they're probably going to, I would assume, they're probably going to ask you a couple of questions as you why you want that specific uh, colour of ammo. Of course, you know, certain long rifles do carry those pistol calibers as well so i mean it's going to be difficult for them i guess possibly not to sell you the stuff because you could say you have one of those firearms in possession but i also have to ask why you want that ammunition if you don't have that firearm in possession but if you do it shouldn't be a problem i would assume right Muzz? yeah that's that's right i mean i'm not a queenslander i'm not 100 percent familiar with the laws but if if uh, what we've what we've said is wrong then if you're a queenslander you can correct us please let us know absolutely now this is a long one Mars, this is one's very interesting. It's from Yo- Johan. Now, thanks, uh-huh. Johan, for writing in. Now, so it's, it's a bit of a long one. I'm just not going to read the whole thing because it is quite long. But he says, hi, Mr. Selms. So I get Mr. Selms, which is awesome. Uh, willing to improve my command of the English language. I was looking for some learning material when I was fortunate enough to stumble upon your podcast, which have been binge listening to them. I'd like to thank you for the quality uh-huh. and the amount of work that you're able to produce Without, I assume, a financial reward that I definitely do deserve. I'll do my part of the job by becoming a patron as soon as possible, obviously when finances allow me to do so. However, the main reason for me emailing you is that listening to your podcast made me, made me realize several things that are happening here in my country, which is France, which uh, authorities have been trying for a long time to disarm uh, the good, honest people and keep them doing rotten tricks, such as relaunching on a regular basis these endless debates on animal abuse and the correlation of meat consumption and global warming. He goes on a bit further about that, but I'll go to the next one. Mocking hunters and farmers by making them look like a bunch of illiterate, inbred, incestuous, alcoholic cowards through movies, TV shows, stand-up comedies, etc., and describing them in this reality. They are those who have the most genuine and deep understanding and loving of nature. Next one, point number three, not promoting in hunting, fishing and shooting sports as the native people by allocating a suitable amount of public funds and offering the proper media coverage. Uh, Fourthly, disarming French hunters and marksmen is in order to prevent them from being gunned down, robbed, beaten uh, by terrorists, etc. Fifth one, abolishing 
the traditional compulsory military service, which was in 1997 under Jacques Chirac, former, I guess, be president or prime minister yeah. of France. Uh, and lastly, I'm probably missing the sneakiest points, but you get the big picture. Thanks for your time. I wish you have a wonderful day ahead of you. Take care and all the best in uh, to all the people of Australia and New Zealand. I know we all feel helpless at this stage. So, Johan, mate, thanks for writing wow. in. Lots of different stuff there. But, yeah, we... I guess me and Mars probably feel the same too after the New South Wales election here in New South Wales. Um, a lot of the things, not only the anti-gunners were saying that were attacking us, but also the pro-gunners, you know, agreeing with current gun laws, saying they're not going to do anything with firearms over the next four-year term. You know, firearms ownership is, you know, I guess not really, and the laws aren't really a priority over the next four years, which is quite concerning. Um, but, yeah, lots of different stuff. What do you think, Muzz? Yeah, Johan, thanks very much. Jeez, Jason, it's really nice to know that we're reaching people all the way in France. So, I mean, that's that's really good. Um, we appreciate your letter, mate. Keep listening, and uh, I'm glad we can help you out with your English lessons. That's great. <laughs> I never <laughs> thought we'd be helping people with their English with this podcast, but that's good. Uh, yeah, look, mate, I, I agree with most of your, you know, pretty much all your se- sentiments. Uh, the reality is that most of the Western world is constantly leaning further to the left politically. And this is, uh, and France is no different. France is quite often sometimes the ringleader or the leader in, in a lot of these issues. And, uh, the gun issue is no different. Um, the left, left wing of politics have always wanted to disarm, uh, the population and to make them a, a bit more of a slave population, if you will. But at the end of the day, mate, the only power we have really, uh, in today's modern world is the vote. And um, unfortunately, you guys wasted your vote when you voted Macron in. So next time, hopefully, uh, the French people will wake up a little bit more and not waste their vote. Uh, Macron is about as left as you can you can get. Uh, he's nothing more than a globalist shill. So I'm pretty sure most French people have realised that. But anyway, mate, thank you very much for your letter. That's fantastic, and keep listening. All right, the next one is from Matt. He said, hey, guys, is there an app for this podcast or do I have to use the website? And you should put your podcast on the podcast app Podbean, which is a lot of Australian podcasts. Well, I thought Matt automatically that it was automatically put on the podcast Podbean app, I should say. But if that's not true, I'll check it out this afternoon after we record this show and I'll get it on there. I know I listed it with Stitcher again. I've got to double check on that because I didn't get an email back from them and I haven't checked it on Stitcher. But of course, the normal avenues are iTunes. Uh, the other avenues are, of course, the website if you want to go on the website and listen to it too. Uh, we do have the direct Podbean uh, website you can go to as well from the show so you can like it there and listen to it from there there's definitely a lot of uh, different avenues to listen to the show so thanks Matt for writing in but yeah I'm going to try and get it onto uh, more platforms because I definitely think getting the, getting the word out there is really really important alright Mars, we've got Paul who wrote into the show as well and he says, absolutely love what you do. Just found uh, you this week. Now, this is obviously a few months ago, guys, because we haven't recorded the show for a while. I've been hanging yep. off the political podcast at the moment. I'm not hugely, po- sorry, I'm not hugely political with all the crap going on at the moment. I feel we all need to stand up. And I'm also in the middle of episode 193 now, which is our other straight shooting, letting all my mates know we need to act. Can we make a movement as firearms owners to focus on a group or party like they do to us? When they ask why we're targeting them, we say, yeah, same to you. I guess he means, Mars, you know, they target us, so let's do the same to them. Obviously, he's talking on a political level here. I'd also yeah. love to see you look into the big gun hand-in. I think it was pre-World War One or World War Two, where Aussies gave up their guns uh, to the cause with zero compensation. Now, he goes on a bit further, guys, in the email, but I just don't want to read that because it gets a bit long, but... 
I mean, obviously, thanks, Paul, for writing into the show. It's great. I'm glad we're getting people political. I'm glad we're getting people writing in and, you know, trying to make a difference. And you know, that's what it's ultimately all about. You know, I, I'm not going to lie. Me and Muzz have had a chat about this, you know, for quite a while now, especially since the New South Wales election, about, you know, we've been doing this for nine years and it's difficult to try and get those changes. And, and what hope do we have? And we haven't really had much change or sorry no change in the nfa in over 23 years now and which we're seeing the political parties starting to bow down to sort of gun control measures we're starting to see them agree with things like registration they want more bureaucracy for things like registration where i'm not going to speak for mars but i'm guessing we both agree that all these things are just a complete waste of time and i don't know the way forward mars what's your thoughts yeah no i agree now i mean there's a million gun owners in the country about 350,000 odd are in new south wales so that's 350,000 potential votes that could sway an election. But the problem is not all gun owners vote for one issue. Not all gun owners vote for pro-gun parties. You know, there's a lot of gun owners that come from all walks of life. I mean, uh, gun ownership, to be honest, to most gun owners is not the most important thing in their lives. And that's the problem. Like, I mean, it's not easy to try and move uh, all those people in one political direction. So, yes, I agree. With what Paul's saying, I understand we've got to do that, and me and Jason have been trying to do that. But part of that, part of that process is educating the individual, uh, teaching people about their rights, teaching how important it is to to keep their rights, to, letting them know not to take their rights for granted. What what has been fought for in the past by our forefathers can easily be taken away. It's, it's, it's important never to forget that. So yeah, Paul, look, I agree with you 100%. But I think the process comes from education. And uh, the more the more and more people are educated about things, the more they are likely to vote in their best interests. So that's pretty much all I can say, mate. And my, myself and Jason have been trying very hard for many years to 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 be part of this education process. So hopefully, I mean, we've made made uh, some progress in a lot of areas, but in some areas, you know, things have been going backwards. So there you go, Jace. Yeah, and we've been talking about this for a while too, haven't we, Muzz? I mean, we've, we've, we vote for our pro-gun parties, of course we do, like anything else. But, you know, we've had a lot of people on the show over the last nine years from all different walks of parties, from all different walks of life, from the major parties, nationals to... Um, I don't think I've had anyone from Labor at this stage, but, you know, this is the whole point, guys. We just don't really seem to be getting any results. I have all these people on the show, and I even chatted to Muzz at one stage, and I thought, you know, I really want to sort of concentrate the political stuff on the straight shooting show that's where my passion is and you know is there really a need for the future to really get politicians i mean never say never muzz i'm not going to say never never because if there's a good opportunity that comes up that's too good to pass up i think absolutely i should i should do a show with someone but it's not something i'm going to go and actively look for as much as i did before guys because i've had one nation shooters and fishers ldp the nationals bridget mckenzie i've had fraser running either either these people weren't re-elected or the ones that are elected just aren't cutting the mustard at the moment and no. starting to agree with gun law. So what's the point of me interviewing these people? They simply just don't get any results. Yeah, that's correct, Jason. And even shooters and fishers have pretty much given up on the whole gun issue altogether. And unfortunately, you know, it's more about the farmer and water, which is also just as important. But at the end of the day, the gun issue has been put on the back burner. 
Yeah, and this show is about, you know, people say, well, you know, water rights are important and that's, you know, very, very important for the people uh, of those particular areas and local regions. But at the end of the day too, guys, you know, I run a hunting, I run a shooting podcast, I run a podcast that's out there to get people into the sport, to get them political, to get them writing into their local members. I don't run the, you know, the water rights podcast. I don't run that sort of thing. It's purely hunting, shooting and fishing based. That's the way I'd like to keep it because that's what we try and concentrate on. I don't really know anything about the water issue. It's not one of my passions. It's you know, I don't know anything about it, so I really wouldn't feel comfortable in putting my two cents into something that I don't really know much about. But uh, good one, Muzz. Next one from Brendan. He said, hi, Jason. Just wanted to say I love your work and keep it up. I've been chipping away uh, in what I... As a Patreon supporter, I believe in what you're doing. I've just listened to your latest work with Jason from Hunt, Catch, Cook, and it was a great listen. I was especially heartened to hear you both talk about firearms and the mental health in a positive light. As a long-life shooter and mental health sufferer, it was good to go to hear the benefits of shooting on mental health. Shooting for me has always been uh, like a bit of meditation where I can get out there and get out of my hand, focus solely on my hunting species uh, and what's going on around me. I also love the camaraderie of the range and shooting on the hunt. I think it would be good to get some shooters on with mental health issues and show their experiences dealing with mental health and efficient shooting has for them. Uh, I guess we've spoken about this a lot, Muzz, previously uh, in the past. You know what I mean? Like this is something I think is probably better left, uh, Brendan, you know, generally where it is because we've discussed it a lot, a lot of different opinions throwing around. And also, too, if people do have these sort of issues you know, moving forward, it's probably best left to you know, their medical practitioner and and pretty much left to you know talking you know with the police you know again I'm not sure if people have been you know reported to the police they know about it I just prefer to leave the subject where it is of course mental health is very important you know men are really susceptible to committing suicide they're the most overrepresented in suicide statistics and you know it's a it's a it's a big issue going forward you know more and more people are unfortunately committing suicide every year which is a damn shame but you know getting back to just the normal stuff of you know your just general mental health of work stresses employment you know, finances and stuff like that, um, you know, all we can do is, yeah, look after each other, check on each other, you know, make sure everyone's okay, invite your mates out on hunting trips and stuff like that and just try and basically uh, de-stress. What do you think, Muzz? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly, Jason. I mean, we've had Are You OK Day, you know, that was a, that was a really important day, you know, just to check up on your friends and see making sure that, you know, they're in a good state of mind. But look, with the mental health issue, you're absolutely right, Jason, we've, we've hammered it like so many times on so many shows and for those that are interested you can uh, you can uh, listen to those shows again um and uh we really have covered the the subject extensively and i don't really like to talk about anyone's specific um personal situation because at the end of the day uh on legally on your license if you are if you are suffering from any kind of mental health issue you need to declare it that's very important to understand. We can't, we can't do things that are outside the law. We've always got to abide by the law and, uh, and so should everyone else. So that's why it's important that for those issues to be handled privately and uh, if anyone does need help with any kind of, uh, you know, if, if you're worried, if you, if, if you don't have uh, the right state of, uh, state of mind, you, you need to seek counselling, you need to seek uh, a doctor and, and, and find out um, what are your options. I mean, that's pretty much it, isn't it, Jason? Yeah, absolutely. Going on to the next one. This one is from Todd. He said, hope you're well, mate. 
what a great podcast and on the deception that occurred in Tasmania 96 on the Australian people. The fact that the government has locked up the files for 25 years is bad enough, but to do it again for a further 75 is not something that I thought would ever happen in the democracy in Australia. I did not realise we had become such a communist country. Uh, then he talks about thermal scopes and starts discussing some other particular issues, Muzz. But yeah, that was a very, very good podcast. As I've said to uh, Muzz in previous shows, uh, you know, I wasn't sure about doing that interview. I've purposely, you know, 25, 24, 25 years later, I've pretty much purposely tried to really give that sort of thing a wide berth. You probably noticed during the show, I really didn't, you know, say too much in the interview. It wasn't my opinion. It's the opinion of the author. And I think ultimately it was uh, actually quite a popular podcast, Muzz, on the, the Port Arthur issue. And a lot of people really enjoyed it and me and Muzz had several discussions previously uh, about whether I should release it what should I do with it you know should I be even touching this sort of this sort of particular topic and but it came out good Muzz and a lot of people really seem to enjoy it yeah well um you know it's good Uh, look I, I enjoy I actually enjoy listening to the podcast myself I just wasn't sure whether it's something uh it's the type of avenue that uh, we should pursue, but uh, look, uh, you made a decision to go ahead with it, and it looks like a lot of people did like it, so that's that's fair enough. All right, going on to our iTunes comments. We've actually had a few recently, guys. So this is from Operator, 76, 17th of August, 2019. Good overall mix of topics, not shy to cover the controversial issues. Two thumbs up there. Best segments have been straight shooter, uh, interviews with politicians and gun industry personalities. Advocacy for all shooters and disciplines. Cheers, Jason. Keep up the good work and excellent work. Well, Muzz, he didn't actually say you this time, so I'm happy about that because they're always <laughs> saying Muzz, you know? You bastard. Yeah, they're always saying yeah. Tom Muzz is a legend or something like that. <laughs> not this one. Okay, no worries. That's all right. <laughs> yeah. No, good on you. Thanks very much for your letter, mate. That's fantastic. Keep up good work. Keep listening and uh, and uh, happy hunting, shooting, and fishing. All right, next one we've got is Cosmo, or Cosmo 85, 30th of May 2019. Just a general one. Uh, great, Jason, keep up the good work. So I just wanted to thank you uh, for that. That's highly appreciated. Now, Todd said, uh, great work, Jason. Keep up the great work you do on behalf of the shooting community. We need more people like you and Muzz do who are promoting our sport and our rights. So thank you, Todd, for that one. He even mentions you in that one, Muzz. You'd be pretty happy about that. Oh, that's good. It's nice to hear everyone uh, enjoys what we say. That's fantastic, and uh, we appreciate it very much. Thanks, Matty. All right, guys, we've got uh, one here. This was very interesting. Now, as we know, guys, this is generally left-wing dribble from the project, but actually, it wasn't actually too bad. They did a segment on hunting for the $2.4 billion that hunting brings in uh, to the local communities uh, here in Australia. And so we're going to start with the uh, first, the project. I had very little hopes for a quality outcome on the project, but I was actually kind of surprised, so we're just going to play it. We'll start now. Study has found people who go hunting and shooting are happier than the rest of us. It's the answer to the question that seemingly no one was asking. Yet this new report from the Federal Health Department reckons hunters enjoy higher levels of well-being than the general population. How did they work that out? With a comprehensive survey of people who hunt. Be very, very quiet. I'm hunting wabbits. Even better, these hunters and shooters reckon they contribute a whopping $2.4 billion to the economy. It's not exactly impartial, and the study reportedly cost us $165,000. Some people are a bit sus on the findings. It really is a, a biased survey and one that's totally unacceptable. The net profit that shooters bring in is only $335 million right across Australia. 
Hey, Muzz, the first thing I want to talk, that's Laurie Levy for the Coalition Against Duck Shooting saying we've, we've only had... completely unacceptable. Hunters aren't allowed to be happy. I can't believe this. Hunters are happy? What? That's an outrage. I mean, he says $335 million. I know, $335 million, which uh, yeah, is much more than uh, anything he's ever done that's ever brought in, that's for sure. Uh, he talks about <laughs> wetland tourism. Yeah, give me a break. How many people have you seen on the wetlands taking photos, Laurie? Give me a break. But anyway, this, let's... This survey, uh, Jason, is completely unacceptable. How dare they be happy? I know. Let's, let's keep moving. And that's nothing. Deputy National Senator and gun gal Bridget McKenzie commissioned the report when she was Minister for Sport and Rural or untoward about all of us in this cohort who participate in the shooting sports and hunting whenever we can is ridiculous. SIFA has been likened to the powerful NRA spending as much on political oh, donations no, as the American equivalent. <laughs> well, I believe the political motive for this survey is that Bridget McKenzie is a long-time shooter and I think she's actually shot... Uh, the hunting fraternity in both feet. <laughs> well, there are heavy restrictions in place. He shot him in both feet, has risen sharply since the Port Arthur massacre to more than three and a half million guns nationwide. So do the Nats and their gun-loving mates have more than happy, healthy hunting on their mind? Laura Patterson is with... You know, before we go into the Laura Patterson interview, I mean, yep. same thing. Oh, she shot us in the foot, apparently. But, you know, this is what a lot of people have messaged me over the last couple of days and asked me, you know, did I see this uh, uh, media performance? And I said, yeah, it was, it was actually not too bad. But it's interesting that, again, I have to look back at their history and what they're actually achieving. And it's always good when Bridget McKenzie, I guess, is saying good things about the hunting and shooting community, which is absolutely fantastic. But let's not also mistake that it's... I guess it's better to have her on our side, but let's not say that the Nats really haven't achieved anything, have they, on gun reform in 23 no. years? No, and, and they're not likely to because at the end of the day, or every single one of them have to pay homage to John Howard before they do anything. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's just kind of standard, standard uh, modus operandi, really. That's, that's pretty much it, and, and that's the reality. And, um, and unfortunately... Until they can uh, they can stand up and say, well, look, these laws really make no sense, or this part of the law is just terrible, it was ill-conceived. Um, unfortunately, until they, they got the courage to, to take that argument up to, to their colleagues, I mean, things, things just won't change. Exactly, and she has said before, remember in previous media performances, that she you know, supports the NFA, so... Oh, yes, of course. So, you know, look, I'm not, I'm not against Bridget McKenzie, right? I'm not against her. I mean, anyone who promotes hunting and fishing and great outdoors is, to me is, is, is great. It's better than not promoting it and better than being against it, right? So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not against Bridget McKenzie. I think she's a, a, a great representative, but at the, at, the end of, at the end of the day, it's not about just holding the line. It's about uh, regaining some of the things that we've lost, and uh, I don't think we're moving in that direction. 
Absolutely. Now let's get into the interview now. She's about to interview, this is the project, so Cifa's Laura Patterson. So we'll start playing that because uh, she says some very interesting things. Let's, let's go through it now. The Shooting Industry Foundation Australia, and she joins us now. Laura, help us understand, what is it about shooting a gun that makes you happy? Um, it's not actually the actual firing of the gun that makes anybody happy. It's the pursuit, that makes me it's happy, the Mark. community, it's the ethical <laughs> harvest of organic meat, and it's the being able to be out in the, um, in the wide open spaces, getting away from the noise and the bubbles in the cities and in the towns, um, and having time uh, to contemplate and think about you know, your place in the world. So you represent the companies that make these guns, Laura. What are you hoping to get out of this report? Well, it's important to note that it's not our report. It's actually an independent report which was um, procured by the federal government. But, but what we really like about this report is that it's the first time that the economic and wellbeing impact of shooting and hunting in Australia has been assessed. So it's a really good step, a really strong first benchmark for people to understand what the actual benefits of shooting are. I know um, you've said quite a few times... Just. Just one sec, Muzz. This is where it's about to go downhill. What do you think of the first part, anyway? Yeah, no, not too bad. I mean, I'm, she spoke very well. She uh, articulated uh, the points quite clearly. It was good. I mean, not, nothing really bad there. And, uh, I mean, it's all stuff that we we hunters and shooters already know anyway. I mean, I mean, you're, you're happiest when you go hunting. I mean, that's pretty much it, isn't it, Jason? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> this is the best part where the guy starts to question the the validity of the report, and that basically, uh, you know, hunters wrote the report and basically tries to imply that it's bogus. So let's go on. This is an independent uh, survey, and that's true. But in the report itself, it says it's biased, and that the people that are asked are self-selecting and. Um, basically active hunters and shooters. It then goes on to say that further research on this topic should focus on establishing a reliable and unbiased estimate of the activity levels of hunters and shooters. Does that not mean this whole thing is essentially pointless? Well, no, I don't think so. I mean, what we can say is that we're at the first bounce, right, of the footy game. Um, we've got a long way to go until the last siren. I don't think it's a footy game, is going a footy to say game. that the, uh, the Richmond Footy Club or anyone else playing this weekend um, didn't have a lot to learn at the start of the season and improved over the season, and they still have a long way to go. That's the same with research into farms in Australia. This is the I, first I, step. I don't think it is. When, when, no, I, when I disagree with you, Tommy. It's the first step, and it's a great step. It's not infallible. We're saying it's a first step, and a great step is one thing. But comparing something that can have impact and real loss of life within our community to a simple game of sport is not the same thing. Well, I would challenge you on that. Licensed firearms owners have never been proven in Australia to contribute any negative effects to Australian community safety. And in fact, we would argue that to conflate licensed firearms use with licensed firearms crime is to vilify a million Australian licensed firearms owners. And it's time the media stopped doing that because the story isn't true. Laura, your organisation was at the barbecue today with Bridget McKenzie. Do you think Australians can respect the fact that you have a safe sport, but they get a little bit uneasy and concerned when they see that you are so close to our politicians. Oh, no, we've got um, political sway. I, mean, oh, no. I, I have a great relationship with um, Bridget McKenzie based on the fact that we both think that fact and evidence matter. Um, we both think that you can be a woman and a shooter and an independent professional at the same time. Um, we both think that it's important to have experts in the room informing debate in a regional, uh, sorry, in a uh, reasonable and rational way rather than relying on um, knee-jerk emotive 
um, responses. So what I would say about being in the room with Bridget McKenzie is that it's always a pleasure. She's a great person. She's a good shooter. But I do not have any undue influence. And, and I would say neither does anybody else. Over the, the fantastic work that she has done in the past and is currently doing as the Agriculture Minister, she's a great ambassador for Australian women. She's a great ambassador for the regions. And she really holds her own in difficult circumstances. And, uh, and I think she deserves 10 points. Well, Laura, we do appreciate you speaking with us tonight. Thanks for your time. Thanks for having me, guys. All the best. All right, Mars, what do you reckon? Well, mate, I reckon this, this uh, lady's been taking some pointers from us. She didn't take any crap from these lefties. She pushed back on them. <laughs> you know, so what do you reckon? You liked it? I liked it. I think it's great. And, uh, you know, mate, can you compare that to Robert Brown talking to John Howard about shooting rats in the shed? I mean, seriously. <laughs> she, she hit it out of the park, you know, compared to Robert Brown. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of pro-gun people that have done a lot worse than her, let me tell you. So, yeah, I'm very happy with that. Yeah, it's interesting. I know a lot of people, and this has been posted about a lot, don't forget, this is my, my only uh, issue here in particular where, you know, I guess CIFA have been putting out that they're only, uh, you know, they, they basically deal with, you know, five or six or seven large manufacturers within Australia, and they say, well, we represent business. But then they also said just recently, and they've been saying for quite a long time too, Muzz, is the fact that they want basically a national, I guess, checking of register of, of yeah. firearms and the way they're being transferred for manufacturers based on business needs. And a lot of people have been calling them on that, saying, well, I'm not really happy with that. You know, basically no, you're referring yeah. to a, nas- a national you know, registration-type system, which all people yeah. are against. And I've seen CIFA post and Laura post on several occasions, say, well, no, we basically represent business. Yet less than a couple of months later, they're now representing the interests of sh- the law-abiding shooters, which is fantastic. But, yeah, you can't say you represent business and you're not really representing shooters, but then come out representing shooters. I mean, I'm happy you do. I'm happy for them to to actually do both. I think that's fantastic. But you know, you, you've got to say that. You've got to be clear and upfront about that. Not saying yeah. we represent business, but then we, you know we basically represent business and not the average shooting person community. Then come out in the support of shooters and and going forward. So that's just my opinion, but. Well, well, Jason, I think she done a really good job on that interview. And to be honest, I think we should. Uh send her an email and uh, and give her a pat on the back and, and say, well done, and maybe we should ask her on a show. I mean, that was, that was uh, compared to previous interviews that, that CIFA have done, I mean, that was really a big improvement. So I'm, I'm very happy with that. No, it's not too bad. My concern is just that I've always said we don't need any more national registers. We don't no, need any more not. registers to yeah. track uh, law-abiding people. We don't need registers to track firearms. We've already got that. They're already failed in each respective state. So yeah. what's the point I of mean, extending? We're, we're, we are bogged down. We are already bogged down with registration upon registration when it comes to firearms uh, and, and regulation, sorry, upon regulation. And uh, we certainly don't need any pro-gun people advocating for more regulation. I mean, that is the worst thing that can happen. So, I mean, I certainly don't agree with uh, what they're saying about a national register or anything like that. Um, but, uh, look, mate, uh, what can you do? You take the good with the bad, and that was uh, overall that interview was pretty good. 
Now, I want to talk about, we've been talking about this for a while. It's been on the, I guess, board over there in Western Australia, Aaron Stonehouse, a member of Legislative Council uh, for the Liberal Democrats. Now, they've been pushing over there for quite some time about legalising uh, airsoft. Um, so I want to I want to get that to that Mars, but I think what we should do is just go for a bit of a uh, go for a break first, and then we'll come back and we'll have a listen to what Aaron Stonehouse is actually saying about airsoft in WA and tabling his legislation. So we're going to go to an ad just right now. The new Zeiss Conquest V4 line of high-performance rifle scopes combines tried-and-true Zeiss optics with a rugged and functional design, providing high-definition glass. Enhanced with T-Star and low-to-tech protective lens coatings produces 90% to the eye-light transmission. This means excellent low-light performance and resolution across the entire magnification range. Zeiss Conquest V4 rifle scopes were designed as a lightweight, high-performance scope for demanding hunting and shooting applications. Visit O. USAAustralia.com.au to find your local dealer. Zeiss, we make it visible. All right, guys, we're going to get into the three-minute video. Now, this is the legislation and a bit of, an, I guess, a discussion about the legislation that Aaron Stonehouse is proposing, especially WA, Muzz. I'm quite surprised WA, as you know, is pretty draconian in regards to their gun law. So I think if Aaron was to get this over the line in WA, I think it's going to be you know, absolutely massive. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so let's get into what Aaron Stonehouse had to say about legalising airsoft in Western Australia. Hi, my name is Aaron Stonehouse and I'm the leader of the Liberal Democrats WA and the member for the South Metropolitan Region in the Parliament of Western Australia. Today I'm excited to announce the details of my bill legalising airsoft, the Firearms Amendment Airsoft Bill 2019, also known as the WA Airsoft Bill. Under my bill, airsoft would be legal in Western Australia. Anyone can play airsoft, and if you're under 16, you'll need to be accompanied by a parent or guardian. You can own your own airsoft marker if you're 18 years and older, and if you have a firearms license. The types of markers you'll be able to buy and own are those which are powered by gas, battery, and spring. Now, just one thing there, Muzz, before we go on. I think some people are already a little bit unhappy that you're probably going to have to have a firearms licence to buy an airsoft marker, but I have... I'm not not upset about that, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I guess if we get it, we can concentrate on getting rid of the sort of that stuff later. Exactly. I think, look, you need to try and get it across the board first. For example, I know the purists will be upset with me, but look, I'd rather have airsoft under licence than no airsoft at all. You understand what I'm saying, Jason? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, so if we can get, if we can convince the politicians that are in power to, to, to you know, if you can convince them with the argument, which is a quite rational argument, look, we can already own deadly weapons. We already own real guns. Why can't I own pretend guns? Like, you know, why can't I own replicas that are non-lethal? I mean, that just makes sense, right? If you can own something that's lethal, you should be able to own something that's not lethal. So that's a pretty straightforward argument to me. And if the only way to get it across the board is is to have it under licence, then absolutely I would support it. So I, I'm not upset about that at all. This goes back to suppressors as well when people say, well, it shouldn't be registered. I mean, I agree with you 100%, but if it means suppressors or no suppressors, chuck a serial number on it and let's do it. But let's continue. There are limitations on the performance of airsoft markers. Basically, my bill breaks them into two categories. Airsoft markers with fully automatic operation, 
and airsoft markers with semi-automatic operation and any other type. For fully automatic airsoft markers, there is a maximum pellet energy of 1.3 joules. Now, I spoke to my mate that lives in England. Uh, he's actually here traveling. He used to live with me, Mars, and he says 1.3 joules is actually really good considering for fully automatic. So I just thought, we don't know much about airsoft, but I did uh, talk to him, and he said that's really good in regards to the power from these types of, uh, these types of airsoft markers. So that's, I just wanted to let people know that, but let's continue. For semi-automatic markers, or any other type, you can have them up to a maximum of 2.5 joules. Yeah, he said 2.5 is huge too, mate. Now bear in mind that airsoft markers, for the purpose of my legislation, means any type of marker that discharges or propels airsoft pellets. Now that can include a marker that resembles a rifle, or it can include a marker that resembles a grenade, or even a mortar. And yes, those do exist. Whoa, he's shooting, if you don't want he's to shooting the airsoft uh, bomb. Firearms <laughs> license, you can always rent out an airsoft marker at an airsoft venue. Now, that's good too, Muzz, I might add. If you don't have the license, you can do it under the supervision of the people that actually run the companies. I mean, that's pretty good too. Well, yeah, that's right. Um, you know, that's, it's, it's just ways, methods of being able to access this great recreation, this great sport, um, you know, without too much interference. So, I mean, of course, in other countries, you buy them off the shelf at Kmart, right? But, um, but of course, in Australia, uh, we've got to try and find ways. And Aaron Stonehouse is doing the right thing here. We've got to try and find ways of getting them into the market, at least, uh, as opposed to not having them at all. Yeah, exactly. Airsoft markers use pellets, or BBs. Under my bill, you'll be able to buy and use BBs that are at least 6mm and no bigger than 8mm in diameter. At least 0.12 grams and not heavier than 0.5 grams in weight. And that are made of plastic or biodegradable materials. This is an airsoft marker. Now you're going to have to brighten it up a bit. That involves adorning your marker. Now, Muzz, just to, just to be clear here too, while people are not going to be able to see this, when you're actually, which again is part of the thing that we have to do to get these in, uh, there's going to be, you have to put three bands uh, on the firearm. So probably one on the magazine, one around the foregrip and one around the buttstock. And they just basically look like coloured rubber bands. So when you're yeah. in transportation or if you're doing whatever with them, they need to have those bands on them just so, quote unquote, people don't think it's some sort of, uh, you know, weird assault weapon firearm that people are going to jump around and start shooting people with and you have to have the orange tip as well so that's just something uh, uh to think about with three one centimeter bands one centimeter bands. either bright green yellow orange or pink and if your marker has a muzzle you're going to have to cover that with a bright orange tip now the catch here is that you're allowed to remove all your coloration when you're playing a game at an airsoft venue now, Mars, that was pretty big yep. too. That you can get rid of all those colorations when you're actually yep. on the, you know, on the field playing airsoft. So again, not going to be mandatory. Only pretty much when taking, I guess, to and from an event, or you know, maybe having it locked away in the gun safe, just so people see it. That doesn't look weird to some certain, you know, anti-gunners out there that don't like firearms. Yeah. Airsoft clubs will be allowed to apply for permits to hold temporary events. These are a big deal. We have a beautiful landscape here in WA, and I can't wait to see the first large-scale game here in the Outback. 
Oh, listen to that semi-automatic uh, or fully automatic airsoft gun. Yeah. So, those are the main parts of my bill. There are plenty of other details you may want to know, depending on how much you want to get into the game. Be sure to sign up to my campaign at goairsoft.com.au. Anyway, that gets to the core of it, Mars, anyway. So, I mean, this is huge yeah. for... And I remember I spoke to David Lionhelm, I think, probably about a year, year and a half ago, maybe just before the election. And he was yeah. saying he, he was saying quite well that, I mean, this looks like a seriously going to get through in WA. Well, I certainly hope so. Look, um, to me, it's, it's very, very simple. It's so simple that it's almost stupid. Uh, at the end of the day, if you buy an airsoft rifle under licence, okay, that airsoft rifle or, for example, a ticket for an airsoft rifle gets registered underneath your name, the police know that you've got live uh, real guns and two airsoft rifles, whatever it might be. So, you know, and any time you break the law, even if it's with your airsoft rifle or your real rifles, you lose your licence. It's very simple. I mean, it's 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 no-brainer. You should be able to own them under licence. I don't see why not. So, look, I, I hope it gets through. I hope uh, sensible heads um, look at this bill and pass it because at the end of the day, we surely, surely should be able to own them under licence, especially when you already have real guns. I know that's the part that's weird to me. I can own real guns like three three eights, you know, all different types of firearms, but I can't own something that actually, you know, shoots a basic little pellet. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's unbelievable. And I'm surprised it's actually WA's going forward with this. You know, with WA being fairly draconian on their gun laws, it's just I'm glad it's actually happening in WA, and then hopefully that can be a catalyst to bring that to other parts of the countries as well. Instead of people having to fly overseas to New Zealand or other countries, when you know many many yeah, hundred or so countries are playing airsoft. Yeah, that's right. But it's, look, it's very difficult to have the conversation with anyone in Australia because we. I mean, like like previously, other politicians said, we just most people just wet themselves when it comes to talking about guns. They 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 act like little children. They become uh, hysterical, really, because they certainly they don't know anything about the argument, and uh, all they ever think about is. Um, is the mass shootings in America. It's all they ever say, oh, but America, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, okay, no worries. But there are other parts of the world than just America, and there are many other uh, aspects of, uh, the you know, great recreational sports like airsoft and, and so on, That and even paintball. I mean, I can't see why you can't have a paintball marker under license. It baffles me, but, you know. These are the ridiculous laws we've got to deal with, Jason, and we've got to try and combat them. I wonder if uh, – would you play it if it came to New South Wales? Would you play airsoft? Would it be something that interests you, or what do you think? Oh, yeah, look, if, if I could buy a few airsoft rifles under licence, I'd definitely buy some, 100%. Without yeah. a doubt. Without a doubt. I'd love, I'd love to have a go. Anyway, very good and well done to Aaron Stoney. I suppose we're going to go to a quick break, guys. We'll be right back. Looking for outdoor equipment for your next adventure? At Aussie Outdoor Gear, you can find cooking equipment, camo clothing for kids, backpacks, camo accessories and much more. We cater for your hunting, fishing, camping, hiking and other outdoor pursuits with our unique product range. AussieOutdoorGear.com.au Quality gear at affordable prices. Now, Mars, I know you're going to yep. love this one, dude. I know you're going to love this one. Now, that you, Tucker Carlson on Fox News, uh, uh-huh. they were talking about the Democrats, Beto O'Rourke from Texas. He says, oh, I'm going to take your AR-15s. I'm going to take your AK-47s. Yeah. I'm going to take them from you. And this is a really good one. This is Matt Gates. He's the Republican congressman from 
uh, Florida. Now, I think you'll really like what he has to say. So he's been interviewed by Tucker Carlson. Let's go through that interview now. Matt Gates is a member of Congress representing the state of Florida, and he believes it is that simple. He joins us tonight. Congressman, this principle could be applied to a bunch of different issues. But on the issue of firearms, why wouldn't the law contain a clause saying everybody is covered by this? Nobody is allowed to have his family protected with these weapons, period. Why, why you asked? Well, tradition mostly. Congress initially had exempted itself from insider trading laws. Now you got people in Congress who live behind walls but don't want the American people to have that same security. And even the firearms that are used by the people who protect members of Congress could be deemed unlawful under some of the bills introduced by Democrats. I think that there ought to be personal consequences for lawmakers who stand between the American people and their Second Amendment rights. And you know what? If if military-style assault rifles shouldn't be anywhere on the streets, let the lawmakers who have personal security details be the first ones to step up to the line to offer their buyback, to offer their confiscation. Amen. Because we're Amen. getting lectures. So you don't need this. Why would you need that weapon? You don't hunt with that. You don't need that to protect your family. Really? Okay. Then you don't either. I mean, well, how dare, and I mean this sincerely, I almost never get mad. I am mad. How dare someone look into a screen and say, you don't need that weapon, but I do? Because where do they get off saying that? Washington is a city surrounded on all sides by reality. And lawmakers in Washington too often believe that their unique vulnerabilities, their unique circumstances are subject to special treatment. Because frankly, look, we've all got staffs who walk around and tell us how smart and funny and handsome we are. Yeah. It's, it's ludicrous. I mean, the, the lifestyle around here. And frankly, if, we, if half of the members of Congress had to go hog hunting, they'd want an AR-15 to make sure they had a successful hunt. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a really good point. So how hard would it be to draft a piece of legislation that just says that? You know, the, the gun control laws that you pass apply to you as well. Well, uh, look. First off, Muzz, I just, I just love that, man, the fact that why don't they give up their own guns just like John Howard did. And this was something I brought up with Tom Frame, who wrote that the uh, gun control, what Australia got right and wrong book. So probably where people will listen to this show, that'll be coming up very soon after this straight shooting. But very good, eh, Muzz, saying, well, yeah, why are you guys exempt from the laws? If you want to get rid of these guns, why don't you guys get rid of them yourself as well? Yeah, it's, it's really refreshing listening to them calling out the hypocrisy you know, really from government, which rarely happens in Australia. I mean, when people listen to that, you think, yeah, you're right. You know, like you can nod your head. You say, yeah, you know, these hypocrites, if they want to gun control, they can start with themselves, right? So it's 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 the hypocrisy and uh, creating an us and them situation. And uh, that's the difference in America. There's there's very – there are very, very few situations where it's us and them. And uh, – but, um, look, Jason – I just love hearing uh, those points of view from the American perspective because it's completely at odds with the things that we hear in Australia, which is kind of just makes absolutely no sense whatsoever in Australia. Right, and it only, it only makes sense if you're a politician and if it benefits you. Yeah, absolutely. I know that Nancy Pelosi would move such a bill, but you're giving me some good ideas for some amendments to put uh, on the floor when 
we have these very bad gun control bills that the Democrats are moving. Fortunately, we got enough pro-Second Amendment folks in the Senate that these bad Democrat gun control bills are probably deader than a Joe Biden political rally by the time they hit the other side of the Capitol. <laughs> it would be nice to hear them explain, at least, at least Bill de Blasio, and maybe because he's not a genius, was willing to just address it directly and say, you know, my life is more important than yours. And I kind of give him credit for being that honest. Would members of Congress be bold enough to defend the proposition? that they get the weapons that I'm not allowed to protect my kids with? Now, look, we just need to accept the notion that law-abiding gun owners do nothing to harm American security. Exactly. They make communities exactly. safer all around this great country. And frankly, it's just the zip codes inside Washington, D.C. and some of the other urban, like, hyper-liberal centers where they want to deprive the rest of Americans their rights that aren't causing harm to anyone. That's totally, it's nicely put. Very nicely put. Congressman, thanks so much for coming on tonight. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you, Tucker. Man, what a stark <laughs> reality, Haymars, compared to what we're dealing with over here. Like, this guy's actually oh, in man. Parliament, Republican uh, Matt Gates from Florida. Check oh, him yes. out. I've never heard of this guy before, but he's bloody fantastic. Yeah, no, look, Jason, I mean, it's, it's, it's great. If, you know, if you're an American, you've got the right to defend yourself and all those things. And uh, when, yeah, and that's, that's the. From, for our Australian audience, I mean, that's the perspective you have to listen to that from because over there, obviously, the Democrats uh, are trying to take away people's rights and they have their rights now and they're, trying very, they're fighting very hard to keep them. Obviously, Trump is a very, very much pro-gun guy, pro-Second Amendment, pro-NRA, which is great for America. It keeps America free. Now, I just want to mention, Jason, just so... To um, at least address some some of our potential critics, look, we know that there have been a couple of mass shootings in the United States, and virtually all of them had a link with some kind of uh, mental illness or a person that was disturbed or disgruntled at work or something, some sort of trauma. And uh, unfortunately, these people had access to uh, you know guns and uh, unfortunately have committed some horrible crimes. And that that's something that happens all over the world. You just and you know the reality is it happens in Mexico, it happens in Brazil, it happens all over Eastern Europe. Uh, you just don't hear about it. You just don't hear about it. Why? Because it's not America. <laughs> and that's just how our, um, um, I guess, uh, media complex works. Uh, anytime someone falls over or trips over a bullet in America, you hear about it on our news. So that's the reality, isn't it, Jason? Yeah, absolutely. And you'll like this next article that we've been talking about for a while. Now, this one's the one about self-defense. Uh, as you guys know, there was a young guy called Dean Weber who was only 19 at the time. I'm not sure if you remember this one, Muzz, but when three, basically a girl was running down the street. She was being chased by a couple of guys. She was three guys. Uh, she went to the, just a random person's house, which was Dean Weber, age 19. He's led her into the house a, a little bit Time later, some guys have tried to come to his house. They've come into his house. Uh, he's grabbed a kitchen knife and began stabbing the assailants when he was on the phone to police. He was on the phone to police, I think, for about 15 minutes or so. And thankfully, uh, he's going to have no murder charges uh, put against him, which is, should be just normal fare, really. I mean, he didn't know these people. He didn't know the girl. He didn't know any of these people. This kid's you know, lies ruined that now two out of the three men are now dead. He's got to live with that the rest of his life. And even yeah. from the article here um 
It just says the 29-year-old uh, female, Candace Locke, told him very bad people were looking for her and a short time later, three burly men ripped through the screen door. They allegedly grabbed him by the throat, lifted him off the ground and threw him on the floor. The diesel fitter was only 19 years old. Uh, he only survived because he found a 15-centimetre kitchen knife in the darkness and jabbed haphazardly in the direction of the uh, assailants. Corey Christensen, 37, and Tom Davey, 27, staggered from the house on Topton Street and bled to death on the lawn and the other in the gutter after being stabbed inside. Mr. Weber was never charged with the incident. It was deemed he acted in self-defense, pre- uh, protecting not only his own life, but the that of the life of the injured female. And even going through the article, Muzz, there never really seems to be a part where this young lady, which you know, she's not a bad-looking young lady, she's quite attractive, ever thanked this guy for helping her at all. Like, he's, he's just killed two people, not wanting to do that. She brought this situation to this guy's doorstep and not even a thanks kiss your bum nothing yeah well look jason i mean nobody wants to put in be put in a situation where they have to defend themselves and and potentially defend their lives and and unfortunately in the process uh having having had killed someone i mean he's going to have to live with that for the rest of his life i mean that in itself is punishment enough and that's uh, something that's going to haunt him forever However, the alternative is if he'd done nothing, he could have been killed himself. So this is this is the issue. People have a right to self-defence, no doubt, and uh, it's a very personal right. It's something that yeah, those who have the courage to do should do. Uh, in my opinion, you should you should defend defend yourself. And under our law in Australia, you have a right to self-defence, but the government doesn't give you a right to defend yourself with you know an implement. Uh, or say, for example, a, a gun or a knife. Uh, it has to be with uh, the law says it has to be with reasonable, reasonable means, reasonable force, or whatever it might, whatever that means. That means if someone comes at you with a knife, I guess you have a right to have a knife too. Yeah, that's what but, it means. So, yeah. But who so, who wants to see somebody in their house, you know, trying to rip off the doors? I mean, even me, I'm a big fellow. I wouldn't want to see someone ripping no. into my doors. You'd be absolutely scared out of your mind. I mean, that's just normal absolutely. human behaviour to be worried. Exactly, and where, where did this happen again, Jason? Where, where, which? Um, I'm not sure. I didn't really say. I'm not sure which. I'm not sure which state it was actually in. I think it okay. might have been in Victoria or South Australia. I think it was, might have been South Australia. Right, right. Okay, yeah. But anyway, I mean, it's very, still very, a good result. Still a good result. Look, very scary. Great result for self defence. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Someone comes into your home, threatens your life. You absolutely should have a right to defend yourself. So excellent result there. It's I'm glad interesting it though, Muzz, too. They 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 put a lot of emphasis on the call to police. I mean, what would it matter anyway whether he called mm. police or he didn't? And he's left the phone there, obviously, to record, and that's what stopped a murder charge. I mean, if people are pulling the things off your doors, three big men, you assume they're either going to kill you or severely hurt you, and you'd have to take the the worst option in the fact that you would think generally that these people are probably going to kill you. Uh, I wouldn't be willing to take the risk. Well, look. There's the flight or fight scenario where most people go that most people's bodies go through when they're faced with a situation like that. And a lot of people, until they're put in that situation, they don't really know how they're going to react, whether they're going to flight or fight. So, I mean, this guy's instinct was to fight and, uh, you know, to defend himself. And I don't think he should be punished under the law. So, thankfully, the law didn't punish him. So, that's, that's a good result, Jess. All right, guys, we're just going to get another quick break and we'll be right back.
Would you like to advertise on one of the most tech-savvy mediums on the internet? Then why don't you advertise with us on the Australian Hunting Podcast? If you have a product or business that you would like to promote, then we would love to hear from you. Become one of our partner advertisers by calling Jason on 0425 881 967 or email australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com. All right, getting back to our next. Uh, this is an audio from David Seymour. Now, David Seymour is in Parliament uh, in the ACT uh, for the oh, sorry for the ACT party in New Zealand. Now he's only one member of Parliament. He's been pretty strong. He was the only person that voted against gun laws. Now Jacinda Ardern must be as she does. She's she's out there jet setting overseas, enjoying the life uh, of a socialist over in many countries on the taxpayers of New Zealand. But uh, Winston Peters of New Zealand First. Uh, obviously, he's the Deputy Prime Minister there in New Zealand. Uh, David Seymour is asking him some very, very interesting questions about the gun buyback and about many, many different issues. And you're probably not going to see this, guys, but behind David Seymour, from the audio that you'll actually hear, is the National Party all nodding their head in agreement, agreeing with David. Yet let's not forget, actually, that the Nationals voted for the first tranche of gun support for the Labor Party in New Zealand. So let's start first with David Seymour asking questions uh, of the uh, Winston Peters from New Zealand first. My question is to the Prime Minister and reads as follows. Does he stand by the Prime Minister's reported statement in relation to the Arms Prohibited Firearms Magazines and Parts Amendment Act 2019 that, quote, initially we said we were going to deal with the guns that we thought just weren't necessary. That was done within 12 days, end quote. The Prime Minister. Yes. See that, Marzi just gave a one-word answer, just a one-word answer. <laughs> it, it, it gets better. How can the Prime Minister continue to be confidently stand by that statement when only 21,000 894 firearms have been bought back and the buyback period is more than half gone already. This is where he gets a bit smart. Because the other half of the buyback period hasn't expired yet. (laughs) Does the Prime Minister agree with the statement by Police Minister Stuart Nash that the government has, quote, no idea how many more firearms are out there to be collected in that second half? Uh, that is a seriously sane, rational and responsible uh, comment by the Minister of Police for the first time owning up to the fact that this Parliament over decades has neglected its duty. But that neglect will stop right now with this Government. Did you hear that, Marcy? That was very telltale yeah. then, very, very serious stuff. That, mate, They're not marking around these people. They're not marking around at all. Oh, of course. Oh, mate, I, I'm not surprised at all. And Winston Peters, to be honest, is absolutely traitor to New Zealand and to everyone that voted for him. He's the one who's installed this woman as the one of the worst prime ministers New Zealand's ever had, quite frankly. And, uh, you know, and uh, I guess New Zealanders are the poorer, but they, unfortunately there's only one voice in the New Zealand parliament that's speaking out for the rights of gun owners and for liberty. So, you know, this that's the sadder part. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Let's continue. How can the prime minister say that neglect is going to stop right now when mathematically there is no way anything like the number of firearms known to be out there will be collected by this buyback. 
It gets worse, mate. The fact of the matter is we didn't enter this exercise uh, to do it in, in, in an inadequate way. Uh, 51 people lost their lives and scores of people were horribly damaged for the rest of their life and, be, and will be a charge against New Zealand taxpayer for the rest of their lives. Our responsible duty was to uh, ensure we put together the right reaction and this compulsory registry and the buyback is part of it. And when the period is over, they haven't been warned of uh, what the consequences will be, will then come for those people using every device we have to ensure that they get to understand that we, in this case, as a country, are deadly serious. Has the Prime Minister considered that perhaps the buyback is failing and the compliance rates are so low because licensed firearm owners feel betrayed and frankly scapegoated by the government in response to our nation's greatest peacetime tragedy? Mr Speaker, there's a new piece of legislation in the House on that matter where there is going to be a widespread consultation going into the committee of the whole House. Even that member, if he's got... It's interesting, Mud. See, it's interesting when we're just talking about that just in general, that, you know, this is what we're talking about here. I mean, he was pretty well, serious they're, they're about going, that. They're going for all the same same stuff that we, we did back in 96, and just it, it's absolutely just mind-boggling to me that, they, you know, majority of the politicians in New Zealand haven't learned the lessons from 1996, and uh, they just can't stand up for liberty. They can't stand up for freedom. They can't stand up for good law-abiding people. It's just ridiculous. And to be honest, New Zealanders themselves are also partly to blame because, mate, they've had 20 years to prepare for something like this and they've done nothing. I just can't uh, believe that, you know, Winston Peters from supposedly New Zealand First is, you know, to get his little cushy job right next to the Prime Minister was willing to mm-hmm. sort of sell his soul just to, you know, become relevant again. I mean, you know, just an old fossil, you know. Like, what about New um, Zealand First? What about protecting the – what about protecting, you know, New Zealand people, which was what he was <laughs> supposed to be doing when this tragedy actually happened and, 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 you know, people that were actually born in the country that didn't do anything wrong? That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Well, they shouldn't that change their political party name from New Zealand First to uh, New Zealand First and Gunnan is last. <laughs> exactly. And it's interesting that they're only saying there's another article here talking about, you know, the scheme and how many firearms have been handed in and the compliance rates could be as low as, you know, 10 to 15%. I mean, it just seems that people are, uh, they've had enough. They're saying, no, I'm not going to be handing in our firearms and, um, you know, the, well, because they didn't do anything wrong. Well, if... Uh if 10 to 15% are handed in and the others aren't handed in, then obviously the others feel aggrieved that they should have to hand in their firearms, and I guess rightfully so. Um, and But my question is to them, why didn't they do anything about it politically? I mean, surely these people would have known that something like this was bound to happen one day, and one day they would have to, you know, deal with it, just like Australia has dealt with it. And they've seen the examples in England. They've seen the examples in Australia. And the same things come to them. And they've uh, pretty much failed to meet the challenge. But, you know, what can you do? Hopefully their gun laws will not be as harsh and as tough as ours. But it appears that it's very 
going to be very close. All right, guys, here's also, too, what Simon Bridges, here's the leader of the Nationals in New Zealand. You guys know that uh, the Nationals supported the first tranche of gun control measures. Uh, apparently, they're now they're looking at it now, saying, well, this second tranche of gun control measures, such as registration and many, many more restrictions on the law abiding, uh, they want Nationals' support in this area. So here's the leader uh, of the National Party in New Zealand talking about this second tranche of gun laws being proposed by the Ardern government. Right, I just want to touch quickly on gun laws because we've got the second tranche of changes being pushed through. You supported the first lot. Uh, Labor's asking for your support for the second move. Why do you have concerns? Yeah, I mean, very briefly, we did support the first lot, although the buyback scheme has been a fiasco. I mean, bluntly speaking, they haven't put fair market value on the guns, and so a small number of thousands have been handed in, and there's hundreds of thousands there. That hasn't worked. Um, we're very reluctant, I think unlikely to support the next law changes. Simply put, because if you look at what the government's doing, they haven't heeded our warnings. They're going after law-abiding gun owners. They're not going oh, after, really? actually, you know, if I am say it this way, the baddies, the criminals, the gangs uh, and the extremists. And there's a bunch of things they could do there that would be hitting this issue where it should be hit. Uh, and for those reasons, as I say, I think we are unlikely to support what they're doing. Interesting, Mars. Hey, they're interesting. They're not going to support it, yet it's a fiasco and a complete crock, uh, and it's attacking law-abiding firearms owners. But, oh, we voted for it in the first place. <laughs> well, look, I'm, you know, it's they, they should have never voted for it in the first place. They should have known this already. And this has come down to the individual politicians not doing their research on uh, things that already previously happened and, and what was the result. And unfortunately for New Zealanders, um, look, well, well, I guess fortunately they're not going to support it. They they're going to be a voice against any further measures. So hopefully that should save New Zealand uh, from any uh, gun laws that are going to be possibly even worse than ours. Yeah, but it looks like also don't forget that if Winston Peters holds the balance of power, they're probably not going to need you know the National Party or no, the, or true. David Seymour and the ACT yeah, Party to get it through anyway. What I'd love for them to do is actually come out and say, listen, you can put it in whatever laws you like, but as soon as we're in Parliament, we're going to repeal these laws uh, entirely. That, that Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah, absolutely, but no one's ever going to say that, Jason, because they're all cowards. I mean, parliaments from London all the way to Sydney, uh, sorry, to Canberra, to Auckland, parliaments are full of gutless, whiny people, mate. They are gutless. They're cowards. They are never, never going to stand up for the things that are right. Uh, they're never going to tackle the real hard issues, the controversial issues, the ones that are uh, are very difficult to talk about uh, because they're cowardly people. All they care about is their pensions and so on and uh, obviously getting re-elected. So um, now when it comes to getting re-elected, it's much, much better uh, for you to be seen, uh, seen, being seen as not rocking the boat, if you will, Okay, then to actually speak your mind and stand up for the things that are right. They're the tough things to do. So, you know, they're always going to shy away from the tough, tough tasks, Jason. Now, it was interesting, Muzz, to hear, again, Simon Bridges and also Jacinda Ardern, how she was so upset uh, that the Nationals weren't, uh, you know, being supportive of the second wave of gun control measures. So we'll go through that one too. There's no politics. It's simply a question of a, a next reform, a next series of laws that seems to be aimed at good law-abiding people rather than the crims, the gangs and the extremists. Look, if the government changes the laws so that they get tough on the crims, the gangs and the extremists, we'll consider supporting it. But at the moment, it looks very much all about 
getting at law-abiding New Zealanders and not being tough on crime and crime. Just, just what, what I'm really disappointed. I had hoped that we would have uh, a joining together of the Parliament again, uh, as we've had support from the likes of the police for gun reform. They're on the front line. They know what is required to make New Zealand safer, and gun law changes are exactly what's required. It's interesting, hey, Mars, how all of a sudden, how all of a sudden now, the things that she says, you know, that you're always about the police, always the police making the decisions, isn't it? Always the police being on the front foot saying, well, you know, now we know what's required, but uh, oh, we did before maybe, but, uh, well, we just had a shooting, so now we know what people need. Like, ridiculous. You, they're just saying this crap. Look, uh, I've got no time for Jacinda Ardern, you know me, Jason. Um, police should not be political, and this is the problem politicians make them political they say oh but police need this well no the police should should be upholding the law so um the politicians should be drafting laws and the police should be upholding the law the police should not be helping politicians draft the laws i mean that's basically you know it's a conflict of interest that's uh, what you call a police state <laughs> so and we know that you know new zealand and australia very 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 rapidly heading towards that direction and it's unfortunate but that's what it is now um i just can't see how new zealanders are going to get out of this and uh, the bloke from the nationals i mean he's got he's, he's, he speaks well but uh, unless he's got some voting power i'm afraid that the new zealanders are going to get cop a few more laws and that's going to be thanks to winston peters Winston Peters. Whoever thought that you know Winston Peters would jump over the top of New Zealanders or tread on New Zealanders and good people just to you know play the political game? I'm just so disappointed. A lot of people had high hopes, you know, for many different issues on you know lesser immigration, cheaper housing over in New Zealand, and, and again under that uh, Labor Party, none of that has happened. Mars, none. Well, that's right. That's correct, mate. And uh, look, uh, it's unfortunate all this come around because of some nut job who wasn't happy with the immigration, you know what I mean? And, I mean, look, that's under, that's understandable. There's plenty of people that aren't happy with a lot of a lot of things that uh, government do, right? But for him to do that, I mean, that is a despicable act. And uh, for, the, for the government to then afterwards uh, basically um, radical change in laws that affects every gun owner, uh, I just think, look, it's again going down the wrong path reduces our freedoms, reduces our individuality um, and a whole bunch of things. And, look, uh, don't agree with it, never agreed with the 96 laws, never agreed with John Howe's laws, never agreed with any of that. And to be honest, uh, Australia lost, uh, you know, we lost something uh, back then. We, we really did lose our individuality, our, our liberty in, in a certain way back then. And uh, I don't think it's ever been the same. No, exactly, 100%. Guys, we're just going to get another quick break and we'll be right back. The Australian Hunting Podcast is the only hunting, shooting and fishing podcast radio show in Australia. With over 40,000 downloads per month, you are sure to find some information that can help you. If you love hunting, shooting, fishing and a little bit of politics, the Australian Hunting Podcast has you covered. To listen, check us out on iTunes, and visit australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. 
So, Muzz, something interesting we were talking about just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you know, we did, and Muzz, you're probably going to hear this uh, first part one of the Tom Frame interview, Muzz, who I interviewed on his book that he wrote, Gun Control, What Australia Got Right and Wrong After 1996. Now, Muzz obviously heard the first part of it. He hasn't heard the second part two of the interview um, there's a lot of questions that people actually, I thought maybe what we might do just for the last 10 minutes before we finish off is just go through a couple of these people's uh, questions, what they had to say on the voicemail, guys. I know a lot of you guys wrote in, you sent in voicemails. Unfortunately, I don't think, it was just my opinion, I don't think Tom really wanted to probably do the second part of the interview. Um, our first part one went for about an hour and 10 minutes. I sent it over to Muzz. I think I did a fairly good job. Uh, and part two, I just... I felt like we were really pushed for time, Muzz, because when I initially emailed him and said 4.30 was the time of our part two interview, he was happy with that. And he goes, I've got to go by 5.15. And I was like, well, you know, 45 minutes, unfortunately, he's just not going to cover it. And a lot of the listeners just, they wrote in, they sent voicemails, and I really wanted to play those. And and I've... all the Patreon people that have supported me gave me money to buy a new deck. I didn't even have time, guys, to play on part two the advertisements and stuff like that because I just had no time. And I got a bit – not that I got a bit flustered, Muzz, or anything like that, but I got a bit – I guess I was just really, really strapped for time, and I wanted to get as much in that 45 minutes as I possibly could. I tried to uh, make the time a bit earlier to 4 o'clock in the afternoon so we, we could just get more time. He said he wasn't available. So I think he was probably just giving me a tiny bit of a little bit of a bum steer, maybe really – didn't want to do it because he knew he was probably going to be under the pump, Muzz. But um, I hope you guys enjoy that. But what I wanted to do, Muzz, is go through just, I mean, we've probably discussed this anyway. This was a question for Tom. Most people know our pretty much our opinions on this, but this is a very, very quick one uh, from Pap. What is your take on semi automatic firearms in Australia and the licensing of them? What do you reckon, Muzz, from uh, Pat? Of course, they should be licensed. Um, of course, they should be available. And uh, look, uh, the problem is there, there's just it's and this the part where I agree with Tom Frame is that it's very difficult to have the conversation with certain people that you'd want to have the conversation with the people who are the decision makers in this country. It's very difficult uh, to get the middle ground, and I understand that he's trying to reach a middle ground, but in the process, what he's doing is he's alienating himself from the gun owners and also from the lefties. <laughs> Absolutely, so, yeah. So he's he's upsetting both sides, and when you upset both sides, I mean both sides aren't going to want to talk to you or aren't going to want to listen. So this is the problem, and um, and yeah, good good question. Absolutely, they should be registered. And the problem with Tom Frame is, no, I don't think you meant registered. They should be available. Well, we, yeah, I mean, re, re, if, I'd yeah, say registered I mean. if we're allowed to have them. You know, yes, but correct. if if. We're not. If there was only one rule of they have to be registered to have them, we'd have to follow the law. At least we can actually get access to yeah. them. Yeah, exactly. Like I mean, having access to them if they're registered is better than not having access at all. If you're, you know, what I mean, Jason. So yeah, absolutely, yeah. That, that, that's what I meant by saying that. But the but the point is, is that um, all along throughout the interview, Tom Frame pretty much disproves his own arguments, especially when he talks about pistol laws. Right. So. Even he admits the pistol arguably is probably a much more dangerous weapon than, uh, than for example, a long arm, a semi-automatic long arm, because they're much more easily concealed, right? And he argues for that. And then on top of that, you can see that the evidence in regards to pistols is that when held by law-abiding, it's not a problem. Um, you know, if they're licensed, it's not a problem. 
that's all fine. So if pistols aren't a problem, then surely in the hands of the same people, long arms should not be a problem. I mean, that just makes sense, right? But he doesn't even see his own argument. And he, he doesn't do a very good job of addressing the questions from some of the people, especially my question, which I pointed at him. Um, he, he's, he's, he says he's a historian and an academic, but he certainly doesn't have a good grasp of history, especially not American history and how uh, the American history has pretty much affected the world, and especially the Western world. I mean, there would be no Western world, really, without the United States. And he doesn't seem to have a very strong grasp of that. So that was very disappointing. And uh, I, I can see what he's trying to achieve, but um, uh, in the process, I think he's just going to upset both sides and achieve nothing. Absolutely. And I think I did ask him at the end of part two. And guys, you're going to hear part one. Uh, it'll be after our straight shooting podcast. So I'm hoping you guys listen to it, you know, write in, send in your voicemails, let me know what you think. Because after I've actually released those two parts and I've actually sent over part two to Muzz to have a listen to as well once I've edited it, you know, I want you guys to have a listen to it and write in. Let us know on the email, australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com. Write into us. Uh, send us a voicemail on the website. We love playing your voicemails on the show. Let me know what you thought about it. Um, you know, but I just think on part two, as I said, time was rushed, guys. I, I like to be prepared. Prepared. I was prepared, but when you rushed in 45 minutes, Mars, trying to get the questions out, I mean, the first hour and 10 interview that we did, I mean, we, we didn't even really get into the meat and potatoes. Uh, I think we got into the first major two questions of about 12 that I really wanted to ask and have good discussions on. And, you know, when you're trying to get everything in and you're looking at the clock and you're trying to get it all in and you know, he's talking, he's a quite a long talker as well in regards to the questions that he's answering. And I just keep watching the clock, finding out, you know, is this guy going to finish so I can basically, you know, get the other questions in. But anyway, that's what happens, guys. So no, I hope- not, only that, not only that, Jason, he's a hypocrite because he's got a Category C license. He's got semi-automatic rimfires and sh- shotguns from the interview. But he do- he doesn't <laughs> you've you've himself- given away a key point before they even listen to it. <laughs> well, look, he, he doesn't even see himself as being hypocritical. I mean, it's just yeah. it defies belief, really. I mean, I think you guys yeah, are going to enjoy it. Yeah, I'm allowed to have them under the law, but no one else should. I mean, like, really? Yeah, wait until you listen to it. For the people listening to this show, wait until you listen to it, guys, and you'll you'll hear, especially when I ask him. It just popped into my mind for some reason. Did did he have a Category C since he owns a farm down in Goulburn, just south of Sydney? And I was quite shocked to find out. It just popped in my mind. I don't know why I thought about it, but it just did, and I asked him the question, yeah, and he's got a uh, semi-automatic 1022. But here's the thing, Jason, the height of hypocrisy is when someone's got access to something but then says that others shouldn't have it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's just, it just loses all credibility right there. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm safe, but you're not. You know, rights for me, but not for thee. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And, yeah. uh, it's the old story, and it's complete hypocrisy. He loses all credibility there. He doesn't know anything about American history and what it means in relation to Australia. Australia would not be the country that it is without the United States. It's that simple. It is that simple. Yeah. You know, 1776 was the rebel, was the American um, American battle for independence, and 1778 is uh, when Captain Cook uh, uh, and the first fleet landed in um, Botany Bay. So, you know, the, the, the two events are very, very close. Uh, England, uh, the, the British Empire knew they could no longer push the colonies around. They knew that Australia could not be treated the same way as the United States, or they would lose the Australian colony as well. So because of that, Australia um, got, a, got a bit of a break from, from England, from, from the 
from Great Britain, from the Royals. Uh, and, and we developed our own unique uh, brand of freedom, our own unique democracy. Uh, that's very much, uh, I mean, the closest relations are really New Zealand and Canada. I mean, this is all thanks to the United States. I mean, the, the United States changed the way the British Empire looked at the world. Why? Because they kicked their ass. It's that simple. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> and it, this is something that Tom Frame has very little grasp of, or, or if he has a grasp of it, he certainly doesn't want to admit it because he's truly a loyalist to the monarchy, uh, which is fine. I've got no problem with that. But, but he does you know, talk we, about less government intervention, yet he's more than happy for them when they took their firearms off, off people. But yet, you I know. know. Yeah. It's just, look, I've got a very, very tough time taking seriously anything people like Tom Frame have to say, especially when they rep represent such hypocrisy and, and double standards. Yeah. You know what I mean? Let's go and talk um, to – I want to do another question. This was from Paul. Now, again, like I said, guys, these couple of questions were actually supposed to be for Tom, but I just had no time. We just There was just no time to play them. So I thought I'd give the listeners and the awesome people that write into the show and send voicemails the, you know, the courtesy that they deserve. So I wanted to go into a question uh, from Paul. So here's what Paul had to say. In short, I put together a, a series of stats. Uh, the first set of stats relate to gun regulations across 65 countries. To my surprise, over 70% of these countries' semi-autos are legal. Now, before you think these are frontier countries, we're talking about Germany, Austria, Switzerland, Norway, Denmark, Finland, to name a few. In up to 60% of these countries allow have a provision for self-defence. Uh, mostly this is in the defence of the home. I found that our approach to gun control is actually not the common approach in developed nations and places in one in company with wonderful countries such as China, Cambodia, North Korea and Myanmar. One point of interest that I wanted to talk to you about in Norway after the Anders Breivik incident in which he killed 78 people with using a semi-auto which is kind of twice the number that were killed at Port Arthur. Um, surprisingly, Norway didn't change their gun laws and did not ban semi-autos and since this incident, they've had no mass shootings. But unlike Australia, they don't go around the world spruiking how wonderful their gun control laws are. Yet, in reality, their <laughs> gun laws are actually much more successful than, than ours in that they've had no mass shootings since, whereas since Port Arthur, we've had a number of mass shootings, including the one this year in Darwin. There you go. Mars, a bit of a write-up and a bit of a voicemail from Paul. What's your thoughts? Mate, I mean... Paul's already much smarter than Tom Frame. <laughs> I mean, good, good on you, Paul. Yeah, that's a slam dunk. You've just basically blasted every argument that Tom Frame has out of the water. And and you've done it without hypocrisy as well. So, so well done, mate. I mean, Paul, excellent. Thank you for your voicemail. It's bloody excellent. You've done some good research there, and it's pretty much based on most of the things as well that me and Jason have been saying over the years. Exactly. I mean, it's a great point, and we've been talking about it before. Anders Breivik, one of the worst mass killers in the world. I mean, did Norway, you know, did Norway spit the dummy and lose their shit over gun laws after this happened? No. They're rational people. They realise that this was a an event that's not likely to happen, you know, if ever, once in 50 years, and that the law-abiding people of the country should never be punished for the acts of one idiot. One madman. So, you know, it's a very, very good point. And, uh, 
And, mate, you've just absolutely nailed it. And you've nailed Tom Frame as well with your arguments. Fantastic. Well done. All right. And uh, F- Paul did uh, do a follow-up. Guys talked about Fast and Furious in the US, talked about the left banning guns and arming Mexican cartels to push gun control and for those firearms to be used, you know, I guess against, you know, not only American citizens, I would say, but also uh, police and people that are on the border and those types of things. And uh, he makes a good point. But his major points, I guess, are on the statistics, Muzz, I think. I think he's 100%. Yeah. 100% totally correct i mean we've been saying this for a long time and when i read and i urge people listen if you get a copy of the book i'm not saying go out and buy it i'm not saying don't go and buy it and i'm not saying go out and buy it if you want to get a copy of the book and go and read it you know have a read of it and see if you came to pretty much the same conclusions as me i mean i thought pretty much Mars, when i finished reading it that I was basically, I actually felt sorry for being a gun owner. And I think what he may have tried to be, what he tried to do, and again, I can't remember listening, I spoke to him for about, you know, almost two and a half hours. So remembering everything I said is a bit difficult without going through it. But my feeling was he was trying to give a lot of grief to to gun owners, I guess, to make his standing in the community within his opinions about gun control to give him more leverage. Now, I think it was a bad idea because when I read the book, I come away with it thinking this is probably – 80% bad towards shooters. Yeah, he said some things about Samantha Lee and stuff like that, but he, he hammered, you know, YouTubers in the community, um, shooters getting a bit upset in 1996 when they had to hand in their firearms. And, you know, it just, it, it just basically sounded like a, a, a I, I can't even explain it, basically putting a lot of shit on shooters for 80 to 85% of the book. So I want to get people's opinions. If you do read the book, Muzz, and people that are listening to the show, if they do read the book, write in, let us know, send us a voicemail. I read it three times, and every time I came to the position that I was exactly right in my original um, ideas of the book and what it actually meant. But I urge people to get out there and read it, Muzz. Look, uh, yes, uh, I've read a lot of parts of the book too, Jason, right? And I've listened to the first interview. And to me, to be honest, Tom Frame is not really that hard to work out. He's actually come into gun ownership very late in his life. He's only been a gun owner for the last 10 years, and I would guess it's since he's owned a farm. I'm not sure if the farm was in his family for a long time or not, but it, you know, for someone of his age to be a gun owner only for the last 10 years, it shows me he's come into the gun ownership debate exactly. very late. Yep, yep. Very late. Now, now considering he's also, he, he's also a personal friend of John Howard, uh, I can see his position. He kind of, since he's come into the uh, gun ownership in the last 10 years, he's realised that once he's gone through the process, and now that he's own, he owns guns, he owns Category C guns as well, Tom Frame's not that hard to work out, really. I mean, he's someone who has come into gun ownership quite late in his life, and he says he only he's only been a gun owner for 10 years, and for a person of his age, I find that quite surprising, perhaps because he's only had the farm for 10 years. But nevertheless, I'm pretty sure that now that he's been a gun owner for 10 years and now that he's gone through the process and now that he's got Category C firearms, I'm pretty sure he sees how ridiculous most of these laws are. You know, he's, he's come to the realisation these laws are just absolutely bloody ridiculous. But because he's a good friend of John Howard's, he can't actually come out and flat out say it. And, uh, and I think that's the problem. I think he so, said one thing. I think he said during part two that he, he has expressed his displeasure to John Howard about said gun laws. Right. Okay. So he's expressed his displeasure. So, okay. So that just tells me that he thinks that the gun laws are rubbish. Okay. Or at so least does he really book, believe them, what he's saying in the book then? Or is he just trying I mean, to come across? I don't know. I, I don't know. It's very hard to work out because the way he's trying to go about it, I can see 
And don't get me wrong, uh, Tom, if you're listening to this, I can see that you're trying to affect change, but in the process, you're alienating both sides. And I've, I just think at the end of the day, you have to pick a side, mate. You're either on the side of the shooters where, you know, you, you, you're going to uh, fight against mo- pretty much 90% of this stupid legislation, which it is stupid, okay, or you're on the side of the lefties. And when you're in the middle, uh, unfortunately, it's going to be just as hard to get a conversation through. Why? Because as you can see from your interview, you're going to cop a bollocking from the right and the left, right? So from his interview on ABC, Jason, if you, if for those who have listened to the ABC interview with Tom Frame, the, the following comments that followed after that interview were scathing and mostly people of the left calling him a, a complete nut job for even thinking about relaxing the laws. Well, yeah. Mate, if you're going to be called a complete nut job, well, you may as well go the whole hog. Exactly. You know, he was damned if he do, he's damned if he doesn't. He's still exactly. getting heaps of grief from the left. So what was the point of trying to you know, relate to the left anyway when you were never going to get any ground there? They should, he should have no. known he was never going to get any ground there. And this is the problem. He's trying to appeal to people who are not, or not reasonable and don't want anything to do with what he's trying to say. So what, it's impossible to appeal to people like that, right? So, and, and I understand there's people in the middle that you could appeal to. That's fine. That's good. Okay. And he's trying to do that. Uh, however, in the process, he's still alienating some of the people on the right as well. But anyway, look, um, I just think in, at, in the end, Jason, uh, whoever he's trying to please, he's certainly not being, he's certainly not being straight up with some of his history. He's not being straight up with some of his arguments. He's being hypocritical and he's not being factual, to be honest, with some of, the points that he's he's making, and that other caller, the person that left the voicemail, was actually had more facts than he did. Yeah, exactly. This is my whole point, man, and it goes back to what we were talking about just a little bit earlier with what's the point of these pro Oh, we've got to be moderate. But you're not even getting any results when you're trying to be moderate either. So what's the point nah. of trying to relate to these people? What's the point of taking this? Well, you know, if we just try and align themselves with the government or we try and align ourselves with maybe a couple of these anti-gunners, if we just give some concessions, they're likely to be, be a bit more easy going on us. It just doesn't happen. What's the point of... I would rather them be strong right really really strong on guns be upfront and, and and you know straightforward in uh, the media and get no results then still get no results but agree with all these gun control measures more bureaucracy more registration you know why isn't the registry why doesn't the registry have more resources and you know this is the whole point and they said this during uh, the ABC Radio National interview with Tom Frame. He was actually on there twice but during the second interview which unfortunately the audio is not available anymore because the ABC deleted it from their website uh, after about a week, and I did email them and try to get it, but they said they don't have it, which is a bit disappointing. Um, but they talk about many of these different issues, and the presenter even saying, well, does it really matter about what cost well, there is, Muzz? Are we, are we surprised that ABC deleted uh, something that's potentially <laughs> pro-gun? Exactly, and, and, and she even said, but does it... Oh, you didn't download, you didn't download that one, Jason? Oh, I tried, man. I'm I, I about to get it, and then literally... It, I tried to download it, but it was actually embedded in their website, so I had to do it with the recorder, like get the you know, get the microphone out in front of the speakers, so to speak, to be able to record it. But unfortunately, it just didn't. You know, it was gone a week later, which is so disappointing. I did email Tom about it, but getting back to the interview, the main point of it was the fact that these guys, these guys, and even pro-gun parties are pushing you know more bureaucracy. And the, and the lady actually said the presenter going, well, who cares? Let them pay for it. It's a user pay system. Who cares how much it costs? If they want it. They're going to pay for it. 
And I say, but, but I don't want it. That's the whole point. I don't want it. So why am I being made to pay for it? Pay for it yourself yeah. out of taxpayers' money if you want to blow hundreds of millions of dollars now into well into the billions since 1996. The, the thing that I was really disappointed with, Tom Frame, especially with your interview and the one with ABC, on top of the things I've already mentioned, is he, he doesn't even talk about other uh, legislation for consideration. Like, for example, right, I mean, why can't we have uh, uh, built-in mag semi-automatic long arms? If it's a built-in magazine, non-removable, five-round capacity semi-automatic long arms, I mean, surely that should be allowed, right? Yeah, I mean, surely no more or less safe or unsafe than a detachable magazine 10-round bolt-action rifle. You know what I mean? 100%. So it, it's, it's, these are the conversations that, you know, we want to have. And when, when he says flat out, oh, you know, these weapons of war shouldn't be in the hands of the ordinary citizen. I mean, at the end of the day, you take the 30-round mag out of, out of a AR-15, it's nothing more than a piece of plastic and metal, and it can be modified to accept a small amount of rounds in, in an internal mag, similar to a, for example, similar to a lever-action rifle that's, that has an internal mag. You, you can formulate laws. You can have a sensible discussion. But the moment you try with most of these lawmakers, they, they, they're all cowards. They, they, they're worried about the media, the ABC hitting hard on them, the project doing a special on them or, or you know, giving them a bollocking like they do with uh, Bridget McKenzie or anyone else that's uh, remotely pro-gun. And the problem is they've got no backbone to stand up to these people. They don't know how to make an argument. Now, thankfully, the lady from CIFA made a pretty good argument and she pushed back against them. And that's, that's pretty much what we need more of. We need more of that pushback. And a lot of these politicians don't have the, the guts to do it. They're gutless. They're complete and total gutless, you know, uh, POSs, I guess. I know, but we've so, never asked them about, especially CIFA, I've never really asked them about, and I guess I'm scared somewhat to, to, to get the answer from them about what they actually think in regards to, you know, registration, because they're, they are pushing and wanting to push things like, you know, registra- yeah, national registration of these firearms and real-life data of information, and yeah, yeah it, just, it's, it just screams registry to me. If I ask them the questions about semi-automatics, I may not really like the answer. Well, unfortunately, we just got to keep asking the questions, mate, and we've got to try and find out what, you know, what the intention is, and hopefully, it's, it's something that's going to be positive for gun owners. But at the end of the day, there's absolutely no reason why, uh, you know, in this country, you can you can legally own a ten-round semi-automatic handgun, but you can't own a five-round semi-automatic long arm. I mean, this just doesn't make sense, I'm and just- especially especially if that five rounds was an internal mag that you had to hand-feed yourself, right? So, you know, it just doesn't make sense. Why why can't we formulate laws like that so that at least the Australian uh, gun-owning community has access to these particular firearms so they can compete in certain competitions and so on? And also, you know, it'll be, it'll be a great way to bump up the economy. I mean, Bridget McKenzie was talking about the, you know, the economy and how much money it, it puts into the back into, the, you know, the local economies and all that. And I mean, hunters do; they spend money. We spend money on our gear. We love spending. I mean, I, I spent tens of thousands of dollars in, in, you know, in the last couple of years. You know, my car, my firearms, going, going hunting, equipment, camping, all that stuff. And I'm just one guy, and there's and a million of us. You know. 
Yeah, exactly. And so I, I don't think Tom Frame also too. Uh, maybe maybe he doesn't care. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I don't think he really was understanding when he wrote the book. Maybe he doesn't care at all. But that he was not really going to you know, be liked by one side or the other side as well. And frankly, be in the middle. Perhaps he doesn't really care because he's got. Hey, why would he care, Mars? He's got his um, farm. He's got his little semi-automatic. He's got his own little patch of land. And this is one thing I oh, man, I'm so sick of is that these people that say that have got. Category C or Category D, well, you know, good for good for me, but not for the situation. Yep, exactly. You know, exactly. I'm, I'm sick of that. I mean, he's got his own little plot of land. I mean, we're here in Sydney. We've got to travel, you know, we can travel to our local range, but if we want to go hunting, it's minimum two to two and a half hours before we can even consider shooting a rifle uh, out in the bush. And But, of course, him, he's got his um, little rimfire semi-automatic 22. And, and when people listen to that part one, you'll be interested to hear what, when I say, oh, that's a bit hypocritical, what is actually part of his reasoning was, was that, well, you know, well, I don't really use it much anyway. <laughs> Oh yeah, I don't use it much anyway. It just it just hangs in my cupboard. You know what I mean? Like seriously. Yeah. I mean, I've got no beef with the guy or anything per like, se. I think you know, but I mean, but but really, can't he at least hear himself? How ridiculous he sounds. Yeah. It's just it's, it's just a uh, unbelievable. Well, the, the way he says it, it's kind of similar to you know Robert Brown's uh, shooting rats in the shed argument. Yeah, not not really a no. solid argument, no, no. No. <laughs> Hence the reason why we were right five years ago when they said they should have got rid of him and they all laughed at us and said me and Muzz were basically a pack of idiots and then what did they do? Uh, they got rid of him. They uh, didn't endorse him at the last election. So this is what I mean. How much have we said during this show has actually come true? I don't think there's a lot of the stuff we've said. I don't think it actually, if not 99.9% of it has all come true. Well, pretty much, yeah. I mean, look, I, I didn't like the shooters and fishers and farmers name change, but I, I have to admit I was wrong on that. And I think uh, the fact that uh, they've included the farmer has gotten them more votes. However, unfortunately, it's come at the expense of gun owners mm. because the gun issue is kind of just been dropped off by the shooters, fishers and farmers. I don't hear them talking much about guns or anything. The only When it comes to our, our rights and freedoms, all they ever talk about is, uh, okay, which is fair enough. I know it's a huge issue. It's an important issue in the bush, which is water, water rights. And really, I mean, that's what it comes down to, water rights. It's no different to gun rights. I mean, people have a right to the water and people have a right to build dams and to, and to, and to you know, feed themselves and their livestock and, and also to make sure that they've got a prosperous future on their farm. They have a right to do that. So, you know, it's not, not that much difference to guns, really. It's interesting too, Muzz. Uh, he actually addresses this. You said it was a good idea based on uh, uh, the particular water issue, but it, sorry, changing the name of shooters, fishers, and farmers. But uh, Tom actually said it was a bad idea. But we'll leave that, I think, for the for people to listen to. Nah, Maybe we'll discuss well, well, that later on. Uh, well, initially I said it was a bad idea, but I was wrong. I'm just saying I'm happy to admit that I was wrong. I think I think the name change and the direction in policy. Uh, was the right thing to do in order to expand the party. And they have expanded the party, which is great. But like I said, the casualty of that has been gun rights. That's yeah. been all put on the back burner. And Tom says the same thing too in the book, man, that, you know, going to all these extra avenues, you, you're saying it's a good idea to change and they did get more votes. So that is a good thing, getting more votes. But he says, which you're saying also too, which is the reason why he's saying no, is due to the neglecting of their core policy and core values, yeah. which is firearms ownership. No, but they'll survive because the average shooter will take a long time to wake up. That's the sad part. The sad part is the average voter, 
uh, usually gets kicked in the teeth at least three or four elections before they wake up. Yeah, that's that's unfortunate. That's right, you know, and, and that's unfortunate. It's a reality. It's a sad fact of life. And uh, to be perfectly honest, uh, one of the also one of the reasons really that students and fishers and farmers have been successful, and I, I honestly believe, I hope they become even more successful in the future, Jason, because I'm hoping that one day it'll ch- it'll change uh, direction and hopefully the gun issue will be on the agenda again. But one of the other reasons why the students, fish and the farmers were so successful is because the gnats are so horrible. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, we, don't, we don't want them to be just become the Nationals 2.0, no. which seems to be what's happening well, at the right. moment. Seems to be what's happening. They're becoming Nationals 2.0, and that's only because the Nationals are absolutely so horrible at what they do. They All they do is pay lip service to... Uh, to, to the libs and toe the line. That's all they do. That's what I mean. They've actually got more power than they think, you know, like with the government, yeah. I think. You know, they should be starting saying, listen, no, we're going to pull our support if you keep pushing this kind of stuff. Really up to you. Do you really want to lose Do you Mate, really want to it, lose office? It's very simple. Ever since Tim Fisher sided with John Howard on the gun issue, the Nationals have never been independent since. They've always just been the country arm of the Liberal Party. That's all they've ever been. They yeah, rubber stamp exactly. pretty much everything the lips say and do, and they have absolutely done nothing uh, for the farmer, for the rural people. Look at Barnaby Joyce talks so much crap about dams and power and everything. Has he built a dam or a power station in the last 10 years? He's been in Parliament for God knows how long. Has he done anything? He's done nothing. These people are blowhards. I know, with, with the, the amount of stuff that he does, old uh, Barnaby Joyce, you know, he's got his wife working oh, in his office. Oh, he's, 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 you know, he's, dual he's citizen. Family. Yeah, dual citizen. And they still vote for him, man, after all these, you know, I guess look, damning he's, things. He's, look, he's been busy making a new family and he wears an Akubra hat real well. So, you know, <laughs> so that's, uh, that's that, that gives him a plus for some of the voters. But unfortunately, Jason, it's always been the case, mate. I mean, who in was his Australia, opposition, Tony Windsor? <laughs> was it Tony Windsor? <laughs> yeah. Well, in Australia, <laughs> in Australia, Jason, it's always going to take two or three elections for the average person to wake up and realise that they're being, they're being dudded. And most of them, even after that, still don't wake up. And that's why these people are still in power. And uh, the, 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 lack of, the lack of reasonable candidates out there, really good candidates... And you, know, you have a look at uh, the Australian Conservatives Party with um, with uh, Corey Bernardi. Corey Bernardi, that's right. I mean, they had great policies, really, a lot of great policies. Okay, not all of them were to do about firearms or freedom, but really, a very, very sensible alternative to the Nationals, right, and to Liberals or to Labor or to really most of the parties. And they couldn't even they couldn't even get a get a bat. They couldn't get a not one person up. Yeah. And you know, Corey Corey's tried his best, and he's he's a great representative. He speaks very well. And uh, look, they couldn't get anyone up there. So they've even, they've even dissolved the party too. Yeah, I think so. That's right. So this is the problem, right? So you you got it's a very tough road, Jason. It's very very tough to break through. Uh, what 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 is not what what is the traditional power base in Australian politics? And most people um, are not really educated about politics, they don't care about politics. When they go and vote, they, they find it an annoyance, which really annoys me. I mean, you live in a country where you have the right to vote. You should at least try and educate yourself and uh, try and, you know, make a change for the positive. But most people are just annoyed that they have to even turn up, which is why I, I don't support compulsory voting at all. 
absolutely should be optional. So, you know, but we're getting a little bit off topic here, uh, Jason. You know, it all comes down from, uh, well, it comes from Mr. Tom Frame and his, to be honest, quite farcical arguments uh, against uh, certain certain laws being abolished. But I support a lot of his arguments to relax some of the laws too. Of course I yeah, do. Yeah, things like appearance laws he was good yeah. on, um, you know, 10-year no, licences he was good on. Exactly. I mean, there's a lot of things that you can support him on. But the problem is, the moment because because he's you know trying to trying America to be, bad bad America bad. But the problem is, Jason, because he's trying to be in the middle, he's trying to please both sides. He's not going to please anyone in the end. That's the problem. Yeah, and maybe he doesn't care. But that's the whole point. What's the purpose of writing the book and wasting time well, if you well, can't please anybody? Well, of course he cares. I mean, you you don't write books because you don't care. <laughs> yeah, that's um, true. You write, eh? you write books because you care. So you know, so that that's the thing. So look, uh. Look, anyway, I hope I hope he does achieve something. I hope that uh, he's influential with some people in Parliament. I hope that the right people listen to him in terms of when it comes to relaxing the laws. I really do. I hope there's some change coming ahead um, because we, we we need we need to have people from all ends fighting in the right direction. So that's what that's that's what we we're trying to work for, Jason, and we're trying to do it here in this format as well by educating the voter educating the people out there, the gun owners who understand the issues and, and who hopefully will be educators to their friends as well. All right, guys, I want to thank you uh, for being part of the show, listening to the show again, all the people that wrote in. Like I always say, guys, please write in. Send us your voicemails on the website. Of course, you know, leave us a comment on iTunes. We'd really, really appreciate that. Any correspondence to australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we've also got some stickers that just came in, a huge bat. If you want to go on the website, you want to go on our store, just go on to the website, australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Click on store. They're good vinyl die-cut stickers. They can go on your gun site. If they can go on your Forby uh, window of your four-wheel drive, they're absolutely fantastic. So I want to go say thanks for listening to the show. As usual, my name is Jason. And I'm Muzz. And guys, we will see you next time. You're listening to the Straight Shooting Podcast here on the AHB Digital Radio Network. As always, thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.